This morning, we're going to see through these mighty acts of divine power that Jesus has revealed himself to all who would see that he is the Christ. Jesus will do what no man can do. And as he spoke in parables and revealed them to his people, he is revealing the mystery of the kingdom not only through his words, but through his works. And as you and I will see, that Jesus is no ordinary man. In chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. So after calming the sea, the disciples wondered, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What kind of guy can speak to the wind and the sea and tell it to stop and it listen? Well, they're about to find out. They cross the sea and they're in a different place, obviously. But this has got a whole different vibe than where they were before. And when they went and came out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him. No, not with chains. Because they had been often bound with fetters and chains and chains that they had been plucked asunder by him and fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man take him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Well, this morning, I'm going to preach on demons, disease, and death. And in these three stories that we're going to look at, we're going to see that Jesus has the power to do what no man could do. He, he deals with a demon-possessed man. Later, he'll deal with a desperately sick woman. And then, finally, a death of a beloved child. So if Lord willing, we have... Uh, we, we will have that before us this morning. So, they're in this weird place now, this country of the Gadarenes, and immediately, as soon as they stepped out of the ship, they were met with a man with an unclean spirit. So after the wild time the disciples had at sea, they were probably excited to get to the safety of land. I know I might have been. So I'll just feel a little bit safer if I can get some Solid ground under my toes. And they get out on the, on the shore, and here comes this demon-possessed man out of the tombs uh, running towards them. And this guy was a notorious monster. He was a living man dwelling in the place of the dead. Unclean spirits in unclean tombs. And this guy had supernatural strength, as we read there. No man could bind him. They tried, though. They tried to bind him. The townsfolk often tried to chain him and bind him with chains and fetters. They handcuffed him, so to speak, and they would drive him out. And with his superhuman demonic strength, he'd just break the, the bands like they were strings. So the people treated him like a wild beast, and they tried to tame him. They tried to chain him. They tried to restrain him. But there, was, there wasn't anything anybody could do. And so no matter what time of day or night you pass through those mountains, off in the tombs and among the graves, you could hear him crying out and moaning, night and day, screaming and, and crying, cutting himself with stones. 
very unsettling. It's very unsettling the way Mark even describes it because he, he has some things uh, a bit out of order. And then we find out things at the beginning that happened at the beginning that happened a little bit later on. And it's distressing and it makes the whole scene disturbing and, and dark and disorienting. And, and it, it's, it sets the tone perfectly for what's going on here. So here comes this guy. In verse number six, and whenever he saw Jesus far off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he had said, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So we get what happened first there at the last of the story. So we're just kind of, what's going on here? And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. So Jesus and the men are on the shore. This man sees Jesus afar off and he takes off running towards him and falls down before Jesus, worshiping him at his feet. But it's not like, it's not the man talking. We find out that this, this man is just a puppet for, these, for this unclean spirit in him. So the man isn't running, the man isn't falling down, the man isn't talking, he's just an empty shell being inhabited and controlled by these demons. He says, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? So he names Christ, he identifies who the Lord is, and that might have shocked the disciples. Remember, they, get, they just got off the boat. And here comes this crazy man, as we find out later, naked, cut to pieces, Falling down and says, what have I had to do with you, Jesus, thou son, of, uh, thou son of the Most High? The disciples probably have no idea what's happening. I would have been shocked if that would have happened, if I would have seen this. Adjuring Jesus, commanding Jesus to do something in the name of God. And then they, they say that Jesus, they know who he is, first of all. They know who he is, not just that it's Jesus, but he is the Son of the Most High, and he has the power and the right to judge them and to send them off into eternal judgment, eternal torment. Well, Jesus asked for the Spirit's name. And we find out that it wasn't an unclean spirit like we thought, because that's how Mark sets it up. He tells us there's a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus says, what's your name? Not talking to the man, but talking to the unclean spirit. Well, then we find out, my name is Legion, for we are many. And of course, the Legion was a Roman division, army, a troop. Five to six thousand soldiers. So there's not one unclean spirit, but thousands of these demons that have possessed this man. And they say, don't judge us. We don't want to leave the country. We don't want to be disembodied either. Now, you probably have a lot of questions about that. I have a lot of questions about that. The how and the why and all the things that are going on right here are questions that we don't have the answers to. It's very unsettling, and it's very mysterious what's happening here. I mean, we know what's happening. It's very obvious. It's clear what's happening, but how? It's just it's mysterious, but not to the Lord. We might read this and, and think about the, 
how is it that thousands of demons are possessed in here, this man? And, and you know, what's going on here? But notice that the Lord isn't shocked. He isn't surprised. He isn't taken off guard. What we're witnessing, we're witnessing something. We're standing there with the, the, the disciples and we're viewing it through their eyes, kind of. And, and there's a lot of stuff that we just don't know what's happening or don't understand. We just have glimpses of this unseen realm of spirits and this spiritual war. And the veil was lifted just for a moment. But Jesus isn't taken aback. He is in total control of the situation. We might be unsettled. We might be disturbed. We might be confused. We might see a, a very mysterious thing happening, but not Jesus. And that, that's what comes from this. That Jesus knows exactly what's going on, and not only is he not taken aback, he's in total control of this whole situation. This legion, these thousands of demons fall before him and say, don't judge us, Jesus. It's not time for that yet. Don't send us off into some far country. We want to stay here in this realm of darkness. We want to stay here in this area. Don't send us away. Now there was nigh, in verse 11, unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter in to them. So now it switches from unclean spirits to devils in the plural, now that we know what we're dealing with. And they asked to be sent into the swine so they could possess the pigs. And you have a man living among the unclean dead, possessed by unclean spirits, who are now asking to be sent into the unclean animals. We know that the Jews weren't allowed to, to eat swine. So we've got some people here herding an unclean group of animals. In verse 13, and forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. So those unclean spirits left the man. They went into these, these hogs, and there they took off down the, the hill into the sea. Could you imagine? Well, 2,000 swine would be loud anyway, wouldn't it? We had a few hogs, and they got kind of loud. Couldn't imagine 2,000 all in one place. But could you imagine the violent sound of these hogs possessed by demons stampeding down the hill, the cries and the yells and the, the, the carryings on that they were to make, running down into the sea, and then the splashing of 2,000 hogs drowning in the sea? I couldn't imagine what that would have sounded like. These demon-possessed hogs, 2,000 of them. Well, verse 14, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country, and they went down to see what it was that was done. I imagine they did flee. These guys were, were pig farmers. These weren't wild boars. This is somebody's livestock. For a Jewish person, though, the idea of someone raising hogs was nothing more a sign of their paganism and their heathenism. All right, so there's not going to be a good Jewish man raising hogs. 
Not only were they not allowed to, to eat them, but it had become a sign of just their, their wickedness and their uh, iniquity and their paganism. So there wasn't much a person could do more to signify that they were not a people of God than to raise these unclean beasts. But these herders just watched 2,000 head drown in the sea, and so they went and told the townspeople what happened. And they come to Jesus and see him that, that was possessed of the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they saw and told him how it befell to them that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. So the townsfolk show up. They see the man, that crazy man, the man who was running around naked and tormenting people, the man who was possessed, the man that they had chained and that they had bound, who snapped those chains like, like a, a superhuman monster, the one who screamed and cried all night, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. They get there, the pigs are gone, the wild man is sitting there, just like a regular guy, and there's Jesus. And they said, there's the guy, there's the guy that, that cast those demons out, sent them into the hogs and you know, told the story. And they were astonished and afraid. Just like the disciples earlier in the boat. They feared this whole situation. What, man, what manner of man are we dealing with that could do what he just did? So they come to Jesus with a request. Legion had a request for Jesus to go into the swine. He said, okay. Now they have a request. Leave. Get out of here. We don't want you here. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all the men did marvel. So they cast that possessed man out of society, but they don't want Jesus there either. Well, we don't want this man terrorizing us, but we certainly don't want you here. Just get out of here. Leave us alone. So Jesus answered the second request with a yes. And they asked him to go, and he left. Jesus goes back to the ship, but the possessed man followed him. And now this possessed man who was possessed is the third person to ask Jesus for something in this short little story. Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus said yes to Legion. When the people said, get out of town, Jesus said, okay, I'll grant your request, I'll leave. But this guy says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And he told this guy, no. No, you can't. You can't come with me. But Jesus had something better for him. Go home to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Jesus had compassion on him, he said. Go tell them what the Lord's done for you. Go tell them the compassion you've received. Tell them what great thing has happened here. Jesus says, I want you to go back to your family and friends. You're healed. You're restored. You're set free from the captivity of darkness. Jesus gave this man his life back. 
He's no longer under the dominion of Satan. He's no longer controlled by demons. But now the Lord has delivered him, body and soul. He says, go back to your family and your friends. Go back to town. Just tell them what the Lord's done for you. So in a strange twist from what we've seen before in Mark and what we'll see after, Jesus doesn't tell him to keep it to himself because we've seen where Jesus says, don't tell anybody what happened. Here he says, no, you go tell everybody. Tell them what a great thing the Lord has done. And what's happening here is the Lord not only has restored him to his, to his life, given him his life, but this guy's got a ministry now. And we'll see in chapter 7 that he plants the seeds that will turn into to, um, something better later on. What manner of man can do such a thing? Well, Jesus said, tell the great things the Lord has done for you. And the man went and said, what great things Jesus has done for him. You see that in verse 19 and 20? Go tell what great things the Lord hath done. And this man went to Decapolis, the surrounding cities, and said how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Jesus saved the man. And Mark is showing us that the works of Jesus are not the works of an ordinary man, but the works of the Lord. In verses 3 and 4, we find that no man could bind him. No method could control him. No man could tame him. On the heels of of the disciples saying, what manner of man can control the sea? Well, no, not an ordinary man. We see Jesus walking into enemy territory in this realm of darkness and doing what no man could do. Not just control and contain this possessed man, but to command legion of demons to leave and save this poor man. The people didn't even try to save them. They were just trying to imprison him. But Jesus delivers him. So here we see Jesus with mighty power defeating the forces of darkness that only the Lord can. And Mark gives us a clue there. It's not just the man doing this. It's the Lord in verses 19 and 20. Well, in the remainder of the chapter, we have an example of times where Mark will bracket one story with another. So what's going to happen is we're going to start with one story. Then another story is going to break in in the middle. And then we get the conclusion of the first story at the end. So you got a sandwich here of, of two stories. So whenever that happens, we know this is all connected. So what we're supposed to do is when we read this is think, how are all these things connected together? Because if they're sandwiched together, there's a reason for it. Verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he went and saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she live, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and the throng, and thronged him. So Jesus gets in the ship and goes back to the other side now. This time, instead of a ferocious demon-possessed man running to him, it's a multitude. And this time, instead of that man falling at his feet in a spiritual war, A man named Jairus came and fell at his feet. 
Now we've got the second person falling at Jesus' feet on the seashore. Not to do spiritual battle, but he was in a desperate situation. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the guy that was in charge of the building and directing the services and so forth. So you go to the synagogue, Jairus is going to be one of the elders um, taking care of things. He falls at Jesus' feet and he begs him, you got to come and save my daughter. I know that you can just lay your hand on her and touch her and she'll be healed. But she's on the point of death and you're the only one that can help her. The situation was dire. Jesus is the only one that could heal her of her disease. So Jesus said, I'll, I'll come, lead the way. And at this point, there's a multitude of people surrounding him. Because remember, he left the multitude to teach, to go on the other side, delivered the, the possessed man. Now he comes back. There's that multitude again, pressing on him. Verse, And then we have him on the way. Well, in verse 25, something else happens. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things by many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. So while Jesus is heading to Jairus' house, the crowd surrounds him. But there was another sick woman in this crowd. We're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I was thinking, had in mind, you know, at a, might be at a crowded place, Kings Island or something, you know, where all kinds of people just pushing on and trying to get through and bumping into each other. And these hundreds, maybe thousands of people pressing, trying to get to Jesus. And there's this woman in the crowd. Of this whole big group, there's a woman. For the last 12 years, she's had a terrible ailment. She's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they've given her treatment after treatment after treatment. And it wasn't like you go to a doctor now. These guys were probably, you know, some of them may have done the best that they could, but some of them may have just been scamming her. You read some stories of that time that, that sometimes they would um, just harm people to take their money. Well, this woman spent every dime that she had, poor and destitute, and the text says now she is worse than before the treatment started. She was desperate for relief, desperate for healing. And everything that she tried had left her destitute and broken. No man could heal her. They tried, but no man could heal her. You know, it's more than just a sickness, though. This was an issue of blood. She was just continually, um, she was just continually unclean. Not only was she considered unclean, but everything she touched and everyone she touched was unclean. We won't turn there, but in Leviticus 15, it says that the woman who had to issue many days, that's not the normal time of the month, is unclean till it stops. 
So it was, she had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And once it stopped for seven days, she had to go to the tabernacle and the priest would offer sacrifices, one for a burnt offering and then one for a sin offering. Then the priest would make an atonement and then she would be clean. But the problem with this is that any type of bodily discharge would cause a person to be ceremonially unclean. So um, I'm going to read from Numbers 5 and verses 2 and 3. And listen, listen to what happens here. Now this is the law of cleanliness, to cleanse the camp. The Lord spake to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone that hath an issue, whosoever is defiled by the dead, both male and female, shall you put out without the camp. Shall you put them that defile not their camps in the midst wherever I dwell. Ceremonially, according to the ceremonial law, God had commanded the children of Israel to put out of the camp anyone who would have this ailment. Because the picture is the unclean, and it, was, it wasn't that if you were sick there was something wrong with you, but the picture here of what that represented was it was a, a lesson that the unclean cannot come before a holy God. For 12 years, she has been an outcast. She has been alone. She couldn't go to somebody's house because if she sat on their furniture, that furniture was unclean. She, if she touched somebody, they became unclean. Unlike Jairus, she wasn't an important figure in the synagogue and in the community. She was a lonely, forsaken woman. We don't even know her name here. She's desperate. She has, she's out of options. She has no one to go to. She's exhausted every resource. She's a pariah among the community. But she heard of Jesus. And she believed that he could heal her. This unclean outcast comes to the crowd, which she wasn't supposed to be there, sneaks through, hopes to be unseen. If I can just touch his clothes, he'll heal me. Then she can just sneak off away, back out to the outskirts of society where she belonged. That's what she had in mind anyway. And it worked. It worked. As soon as she touched the clothes of Jesus, the bleeding had stopped and she felt healed. She knew that she had been healed. She was whole again. Well, it almost worked. Her plan of quietly getting in and out failed. Because Jesus stopped. Now imagine this multitude following Jesus. Imagine how loud it would be, how much commotion's going on. Maybe the disciples pushing people out, trying to get through. Jairus is beside himself because his daughter is dying. They're trying to get to Jairus' house. And Jesus just stops. He just stops right in the middle of it. Verse 30, immediately Jesus, knowing himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Imagine that. 
Everybody, he stops. Jesus is about to say something. Everybody gets quiet. Who touched my clothes? Well, verse 31, his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? The disciples kind of probably confused and probably mocking him. This multitude, these hundreds of people are pressing in on you, and you ask, Who touched you? Who didn't touch you? That's the question, Jesus. Everybody's touched you. What do you mean, who touched you? Well, Jesus ignores the disciples, and he just keeps looking around. Who touched me? Well, there's the woman. Verse 33, And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She was afraid. Just like the disciples, who was afraid when the boat was rocking, She's terrified, but not in a cowardly way, but in awe and dread because she touched this holy man and he was healed and now he knows it. And she's the third person in this story to fall down at Jesus' feet. The possessed man fell down. Jairus fell down pleading for his daughter. Now this woman falls down kneeling before the Lord. She knew she was unclean, and she went and purposely did what she wasn't supposed to do. What's this man going to do to her now? What would the priest have done if, they, if she would have snuck into the temple and touched them? What penalty for such presumption? Well, she didn't hide and she didn't run. She knew whose presence she was before, and she fell down for mercy. And she confessed everything that she did, and she told the whole truth. Yeah, it was me. I did it. I shouldn't have, I guess, but... And then she told her long, sad story. What's Jesus say to her? Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. I wonder what this woman, this outcast, thought when she heard that first word, Daughter. Here she has for 12 years been regulated to a life alone. And Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, you're whole. You have been restored back to your community, back to your family, back to your life. Go in peace. Go in peace. It's over. I've healed you. I've made you whole. Well, unlike the leper that Jesus healed earlier, this woman wasn't instructed to go and be inspected by the priest. And like in Leviticus, she wasn't told to go offer two sacrifices for a sin offering or a burnt offering. She was supposed to have a sacrifice for atonement, and Jesus didn't tell her to do that. He said, go in peace. What I have done for you, you have trusted me by faith, and that's sufficient. You don't have to do anything else. You you are at peace with God, at peace with man. You have been reunited and restored into society. You're not ceremonially unclean. You are pure now. You are whole. She didn't have to do anything else. Jesus did what no one else could do. He healed her. But he also did what no one else could do. He could give her peace. He could restore her communion with God and, and his people. 
When Jesus was touched in his humanity, in his human nature, he didn't know who touched him. He knew had power gone out of him. But that wasn't power that went through him like a vessel. He wasn't like um, an electric wire where power was flowing through him. He was the source of this divine power. That's why the grammar is a little weird in verse 30, where it says the virtue had gone out of him. It wasn't that, that it was going through him. It was he had the power, and he, that power came out of him. He was the source of the power. Someone touched his garment and came in contact with the Holy One. What would happen if she would have ran into the temple, ran past the, the outer gate, ran into the, the holy place, ran through the veil, and grabbed hold of the horn of the altar? Well, she wouldn't have made it that far, first of all, but no one can go back there in that holy place. She wasn't even allowed in the temple. But here, she touched the Holy One. And Jesus didn't become unclean. But the holy, compassionate, merciful Jesus made her whole. The other way around. That she was made whole by touching Jesus. Well, Jesus was talking to this woman. Someone came from Jairus' house with some bad news. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, um, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Jairus, it's too late. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. There's, there's not anything he can do. Just come on home. Well, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Listen to me, Jairus. Don't be afraid. We know he's afraid. We know he's afraid after hearing that. The disciples were afraid on the ship. The people were afraid when Jesus made him whole. The woman was afraid whenever Jesus called her out. He hears this news. What's he say? Don't be afraid, Jairus. Trust me. Don't, don't lose hope. Believe. You believed in me when you came to heal the sick. Keep believing, Jairus. Well, he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. So there's quite the scene back at the house. There's a great uproar of people, friends and neighbors, synagogue members were crying and, and wailing. A great uproar. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to score. Jesus said, She's not dead, she's just asleep. And they replied like the disciples did earlier, asleep? What are you talking about, Jesus? Of course she's dead. It's not something you just make a mistake about. That's why they laughed him to scorn. It was obvious. There was no question about it. Well, Jesus, when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother and the damsel, and them that were with him, and he where the damsel was lying. 
So Jesus tells everybody to get out of the house. James, John, Peter, mom and dad, come with me. And they walk in the room, and there, there on this bed, lied this little girl. So Jairus, for the first time, sees his 12-year-old little daughter lying there on the, on the bed. And it says, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. So he goes and takes the little girl by the hand. It wasn't some magic word. Mark just tells us it means, little girl, get up. He walks over there, grabs her by the hand, little girl, get up, little girl. When Jesus did that, she opened her eyes. She opened her eyes, raised up, got out of bed and was walking around. I mean, could you imagine the look and the feeling of Jairus and his wife seeing her daughter rise from the dead? Looking to Jesus and, and amazed at what they saw, the flood of emotion and wonder. And straightway she rose and walked, for she was the age of 12. They were astonished with a great astonishment, obviously. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given to her to eat. So Jesus said, no, I don't want you to tell anybody. So he told the demon-possessed man, go tell everybody what great things the Lord has done for you. He said, no, you just keep that between us. Oh, and get this little girl something to eat. She's probably starving to death. Get her something to eat. She's no spirit. She's no ghost, no vision. She's a little girl. Jesus gave her life. The demon-possessed man, Jairus, this woman and her sickness, and this little girl were all over the place on the social scale. One man lived on the wrong side of the lake among the heathens. Jairus was a well-respected religious man. The woman was a social pariah and an outcast, and this little girl was just a little girl. Yet a man of means, a man who lived among the tombs, yet a woman who lived alone and didn't have two nickels to rub together. These people didn't have anything in common except for their desperation. All were situations where they were without help and hope in this world. No man could tame or bind the man possessed, though many tried. No man could heal the woman, though many tried. And no man could raise the dead, and no one even attempted that. One man says, God, Jesus can do what no one else can do. He's stronger than demons, stronger than disease, stronger than death. And the strength of his love shines brighter. Jesus will fight demons or death or disease with an unstoppable force, but then treat his people with unspeakable tenderness as family. That woman touched Jesus to be made whole. He said, daughter, go in peace. Jesus walks over and grabs the hand of that little girl. Little girl, get up. 
the power to raise the dead, the power to heal the sick, the power to defeat demons, the power to steal the sea. What manner of man is this? Well, we see it in these three stories. He calmed the sea with a rebuke. He defeated thousands of demons with a word. He healed a woman. No one even knew what was wrong with her. And raised a little girl from the dead. He could command unclean spirits. He could touch the unclean woman and make her clean. He could touch the unclean dead body and make her live. Remember what it said in, in Numbers. That... The person with the issue of blood would be made unclean, but also anyone who was defiled through death would be unclean for a while. Jesus touched both, and they were made whole. Jesus isn't corrupted um, by the curse, but Jesus reverses it. Jesus is the Holy One who gives life and peace, wholeness. He is the Christ doing what no man can do. What manner of man is this? Well, he is the Son of God who has the authority to judge demons. The God, the Son, the only begotten of the Most High, the Holy One. But the last thing I want you to see here is that he is accept, accessible. What you have here is someone who was living amongst the unclean. That man was unclean because he was living among the dead despite the fact he had unclean spirits. Well, Jesus deals with that, no problem. Jesus goes to this woman who has this issue that made her unclean. Jesus deals with that, no problem. This little girl's dead. He deals with that, no problem. He doesn't have to go and recharge. He doesn't have to go and take a rest. Bam, bam, bam. One thing after another after another. All these things. With inexhaustible power. But you notice that these people approached Jesus. When we went to Washington, D.C., we were standing outside the White House. The Capitol Police ran in, told us to get off. We got too close to the president's grass. We couldn't be that that close to his, his, his grass, I guess. We were unclean. We were the peasants. Not away, not allowed to get close. But here's the Lord of glory. Not sitting in a palace, but among the people. Made himself accessible that the multitudes could gather around him. That this woman could touch him. That they could say, Jesus, my daughter, is sick. He was accessible. Remember the story of Queen Esther? No one was allowed to go see the king unless he held out the golden scepter, even his wife. And Esther fasted for three days and three nights because she was going to go and do what would have been a death sentence to go before the king. And she walks in and the tension rises. Will he hold out the golden scepter? Will, he, will she be allowed to enter into his presence? And of course he does. And she, she saves the Jews. But here the king of kings and the lord of lords has made himself accessible, not to dignitaries, not to the, the high and lofty, but to the unclean, the outcast, the pariahs, the sinners. And the call was not to stay away, but the call was to come. And that message is still today. Jesus says, come. He is accessible to the sinner. Sinner, you can come to the Lord of glory. The way has been made open to the Holy of Holies through 
through his cross. You can come unto God through Christ. Are you unclean? Well, come to Jesus. He'll make you clean. Are you weary? Come to Jesus and he'll give you rest. Are you desperate? Come to Jesus and believe. There are people all around that saw this and they scolded and they laughed, they scorned and they judged. But all these people who knew their desperate condition, knew that they were without hope in the world, came to Jesus. And when they came, he saved them. Do not fear, but only believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ.